Well, that's a great thing to uh, fasten our thoughts on. Though all hell should endeavor to shake, God will never forsake. Hallelujah is right. That is right. Exactly. Um, I actually left the questions. I just realized I left the questions I wanted to read at home, but I can tell you what they were, and I'm actually going to combine the thoughts from three different questions this morning that some of you gave to me, and uh, some of you probably are here who asked these questions. First question said, um, in the Gospels, there's a story of some people who are out here healing or performing miracles or doing something like that, and um, the disciples came and they told Jesus, we came across these people and they were casting out demons in the name of Jesus and we didn't like it because they are not one of us. And we told them to stop. Did we do the right thing? And the answer, of course, that Jesus gave them was no, you did not do the right thing. Uh, If they're casting out demons, you should just be glad there's one less demon and not restrict them or not, not be angry at them because they're not one of us. So that was one of the questions. The question was, I'm sorry, I forgot. The question was, if they were not one of them, who were they? Like if these were not one of Jesus' people, who else is there that could be out here casting out demons? So that was one question. Second question was from uh, simply a, a scripture passage in Matthew 7. We'll come to that where Jesus said, you know, not everybody can be in heaven. The third question that I want to try to combine the same similar thoughts is a question about the different religions, the vegetable soup. And somebody asked, um, why do we have all these different religions that we have? Not only religions, but also denominations or groups within the Christian religion. We have such a wide variety and, and so many with such differing and sometimes very contradictory beliefs. Why can we not accept them all? Why do we have to differentiate and say, well, our religion is true and all other religions is false. Why are people so hard on other religions or why do they oppose other religions? So those three questions, I want to kind of see if we can... um, wrap around this phrase here that the disciples said when they came back to Jesus and they said, well, we don't know who these people were, but they were not one of us, meaning they don't go to our church. And so we're suspicious of them from the start. A very good question. Who were they if they weren't one of them? And uh, I want to read that passage or that story in Mark chapter 9. It's mentioned also in Luke. It's also mentioned in Matthew but I'm going to read it from Mark because it, Mark brings out one of the things that help us to answer that question of who these people were. Um, this is in Mark 9, beginning in verse 38, where John, the disciple John, who wrote the Gospel of John and the book of First John and Second and Third, and Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, a wise old man at the end. He lived at least traditionally longer than all the other disciples. He was the last one who had been witness to Jesus Christ. He was the last one to live. So he had memories that nobody else had. But here was a hot spot early in his life and in his relationship with Jesus. He got a little bent out of shape. And he 
said, Teacher, verse 38, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can, in the next moment, say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, I'll stop there. Um, so, a simple, quick conversation. And the question is, well, if they were not one of us, who were they? Who else could be out here driving out demons? Who's the demons going to submit to other than Christ? So, my answer is just going to say this. Um, they were one of us. They just were not one of the 12 inner disciples, uh, inner circles. For example, in nine, chapter 9, verse 2, it tells us at the beginning of this situation, uh, there were three disciples with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So there was a time where they were there. And then, if you go down to verse 14 in the same chapter, it says, when they, these three, came to the other disciples... It's talking about the other nine that had worked together, that Jesus had formed as a group, uh, a, a very distinct group of 12 names that he chose and he, and he specifically taught. Then if you go down to verse 30 and 31 in this very same chapter, it says um, Jesus did not want anybody to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples and he said to them, and so the, the disciples now are together, and I didn't, I didn't list this here, but if you go on down to verse 30, uh, 35, it says, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. So it seems to me very obvious in this chapter that not one of us does not mean, well, they weren't even a Christian, or this wasn't even a person who believes in Christ. They're just out here slaying demons. They're just out here casting out demons and they don't even believe in the power of God through Jesus Christ. That is not what John was saying. John was simply saying, I told them to stop because they were not one of the twelve. They were not one of our group that you said we had this authority. I don't know if they have authority or not. So I told them to stop. That's the answer to the question. Not one of us doesn't mean not a believer in Christ. It just means they weren't one of those 12. However, the bigger question is, the, to me, involves the answer that Jesus gave when he said, well, don't tell him to stop. If they're casting out demons, don't we all want the demons cast out? Let's be glad that someone who's not one of the 12, in other words, they go to the Assembly of God Church rather than Otterbein, or they go to the Lutheran Church. Just be glad that somebody else is casting out demons as well. Even if they're not, quote, one of us. We can still cooperate in many ways and shapes and forms, just sort of like the pieces of vegetable in the, in the jar can cooperate and blend their flavors together. There are limits, there are issues, there are divides over which we cannot with good conscience cross. So my message is not at all the fact that all religions are the same or that they're, they're, it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. That is not what I'm saying at all. I am saying that I can cook chicken in a parking lot where they're doing cannabis or whatever they're doing in there. 
I am saying there are many times and ways where the group of 12 can cooperate and work with others who are not in the group of 12. It's often possible, even when that person is a Muslim or that person is a Hindu or that person is an atheist. There are still, this is how, how I came to see it when I was thinking about it. There are still many demons that can be cast out that both of you believe are demons. And so you can, maybe, you know, maybe uh, someone of another religion is in a neighbor of yours, maybe a coworker of yours, maybe a fa- in, the, in your family where someone is a, a different religion or a different church group or even a, not a religious person at all, an atheist. So there's this difference between you. However, there's a specific project that you both are passionate about or you both agree is necessary. You both agree is something that's God's will to do. Let's do it together. And don't be afraid or uh, arrogant in working with each other. Um, on something that you can have or do have in common. Jesus said, don't tell them to stop. They're doing something that's great. They're casting out demons. So you can, um, the fact that they come to you, for example, and say, I don't like this. Do you like this? And you say, no, I think it's a demon. And they say, well, let's cast it out. Work together. Cooperate together. It doesn't matter that, that there are areas where you disagree. On this area, you agree. So you can do this. And so whenever, without compromising the Christian faith, it is possible that some project can put you in, in cooperation with standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder with somebody who is not a Christian or not a, a, a person of Otterbein or whatever. Uh, don't worry about it. Celebrate what you can celebrate. And work together and cooperate in any way that you can. That's what Jesus is saying to John. It doesn't matter. He's not one of the twelve. He's casting out demons. Be happy and rejoice that, that, he, is, that he is doing that. I remember uh, it's something that just came to my mind um, way back. I think this was 1992. or It's back in the 20th century. I mean, it was a long time ago. I think it was 91 or 92. Our church... As a missions project, we um, built a house. We bought a lot, and just a, a lot that was for sale. We built a house with volunteer labor. Many of you participated in that. I remember our goal was we wanted to raise $20,000 for a missions project, and we ended up with almost 27000 That was a lot of money back in the 1990s, and uh, we were very happy with that. But I remember during that project, um, different individuals... I had asked different individuals with certain skills to lead that area of the construction. And the guy who was an electrician who was leading the electrical wiring side of that house came to me one day and with great concern, I'll never forget this, he said, I was talking about this project at work and there was a guy at work got all interested in and he wants to come help. And he said, he's not an electrician, but he can pull wire. What do you think? Should I let him help? He's not part of our church. He doesn't go to our church. And I was just a bit dumbfounded, I guess, that, that you have someone willing and interested to help, and you would need to stop and say, are they one of us? Um, Jesus is saying here, 
on some matters, I mean, it doesn't matter if you want to pull wire through the wall. It doesn't really matter uh, too much what you believe about certain things. Come and help. This is a project and you're interested in it. You want to cast out some of these demons? Come and cast them out. And so the, I think the, the, the message that I, I, I would share from that or relay from that is that it's a wonderful thing when you are able to work together, love other people, and work together with them and rejoice in every demon that they are able to cast out because that's one less demon you have to cast out. John said, no, and Jesus said, yes. Um, I put there in your sermon notes in that last little phrase there, this is very different cooperating with someone on a, on a, on a project or working together in some way that is, is, not, uh, is not requiring your doctrine to agree with theirs is very different than what it talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, where it says we are not to be yoked with unbelievers, we are not to be united, the light is not, cannot unite with darkness. There it's talking about something such as marriage, or perhaps a business deal or some, something, somehow where I am entering into a permanent league or yoke or commitment to someone whose understanding contradicts mine or whose belief contradicts mine. And, and in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is saying, not only is it not smart to do that, you really cannot do that. Oil and water just never going to mix. Light and dark are never going to mix. And so the believer needs to be careful about the commitments they make to an unbeliever. Because you have to say to yourself, where is this taking me? What will this involve? Be very careful is the advice there. That's different than what Jesus is saying here. When he's saying, go ahead, man, cast out all the demons that you can and we'll cast out all we can. And maybe some weekends we'll have a demon casting thing and we'll all do it together. You don't have to be of this group or that group or that uh, church in order to cast out demons. Demons are hated by everybody. So let's get rid of them. I mean, that's just an analogy that I'm using. But I think the point there is to, to do what you can and not be suspicious of someone that you feel like you can't befriend them, you cannot talk to them, you cannot um, cooperate with them just because they're of a different group. Okay, second question, second, uh, was, wasn't a question, it was just a, a verse of scripture, ask Matthew 7, and this is verse 21, 23. So I'm going to read that. And I, I, I'm tying this together because here now Jesus is making distinctions and keeping alive the difference and saying, yes, different people from different religions or different groups can cooperate, but they need to keep in mind, we need to keep in mind that there still is a dividing line. And some people are going to go to heaven and some people are not. Some are going to be in the kingdom of God and some are not going to be there. So don't let the fact that you and this other person are casting out a demon together, erase the fact that they still need Christ. And so this scripture, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not 
prophesy in your name? I mean, that's pretty spectacular, right? Whoa, prophesy. I mean, that sounds very impressive. And I did that, Lord. I prophesied. And it says, did we not prophesy? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? I mean, that's, that's quite a resume, even in your own group, to say, I did these things. And Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. So it's a very sad, very sobering, very uh, realistic uh, look at the judgment and the fact that someone um, would hear this phrase, which is, a, which is just blood-curdling to me, that the Lord would say to me, I never knew you. Get away from me. Don't, you, you're not allowed in my presence. In other words, God said, God is saying, you're not going to come in here and cast out demons with me because I don't even know uh, who you are. We have no fellowship. We have no, no relationship with one another is of great tragedy and great loss. What this points out to me is the fact that someone may honor Christian tradition or be very respectful of church or Christianity. Um, it says that, you know, this person in that moment, they'll throw up their arms and say, oh, hold it, hold it. You know, I mean, I cast, I cast out demons. I, I prophesied. I gave money in the offering at the church. I allowed the church to use my lawn for a yard sale or my parking lot for chicken. I mean, I did lots of good things, and I always was very respectful of God. And I was always very respectful of, of the church. I know many, many, many people like that. They'll never go to church. Uh, they, does, they do not appear to have any activity uh, level with their faith. But they're very respectful of those who do. And they believe in freedom of religion. And they believe, they believe that, uh, that churches should be um, uh, you know, allowed to operate. They'll never oppose anything like that. But as I say here in this slide, that is all very different from the inner reality of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. There are people who will be as nice as possible to the church or to the Christian community to, uh, all day long, and they're not saved. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The fact that someone claps you on the shoulder and says, hey, let's cast out a few demons together. I think this, this thing don't belong in our neighborhood. Let's get rid of it. Does not mean they're saved. And that's the sobering reality that Jesus is bringing here um, in, this, in, in this teaching. That people can fool other people um, or even perhaps fool themselves. You know, the Bible says about Jesus... Uh, several places in the Gospel of John, and he knows what is in the hearts of men. He doesn't go by what we say. He doesn't go by the fact that that we can, you know, that that we have are able to prophesy. I mean, some people are very good at speaking the language of the Christian church or the Bible. They grew up hearing it, and they're very comfortable and familiar with. I mean, I've talked to people and in my visits with folks and tried to invite them to church and. Try to help them with problems when they're like, I've talked to many, many people who said to me, oh, I can quote scripture to you. Maybe I'll say something from the Bible. And I can quote scripture. And I believe that they could, but they're, but they, but they're not saved. 
They give no evidence in their heart or in their life or in their behavior of actually being convicted and convinced of the salvation through Jesus Christ. And so he says, Jesus says, someday it, it will be of those people that God will say, I never knew you. And Jesus adds in there an explanation in the intervening sentence between there. He says, only he who does the will of the Father will be saved, will be in the kingdom. Only he who does the will of the Father. What's that mean? How do we do the will of God? I mean, isn't prophesying doing the will of God? Isn't quoting scripture doing the will of God? Isn't casting out demons doing the will of God? And these, this, these guys, Jesus said, these guys are going to say, I did all this stuff. And Jesus said, only he who does the will of God. So obviously, quoting scripture all day long isn't equivalent to doing the will of God. Although that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. I think it comes down to embracing Christ. Acknowledging Christ. Because those people who come to Christ... And say, Lord Jesus Christ, be my Savior. I believe in exactly what you did. I believe you're the only one who could do that. You paid for my sin. And you could do that because you were perfect. You didn't have any of your own sin to be an issue. I accept that. I accept that with great gratitude. I accept the, the substitution, the intervention. I want to be assigned the benefits of Christ. That person is doing the will of God because this is the will of God that we, that we acknowledge Christ, that we embrace Jesus Christ, that we believe on Jesus Christ and so forth. And that is what enables God to recognize us and to say, not get away from me, but enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Okay. Now, the third question had to do with religion. Are you okay? Do we need to stop and take a break? Sing a song. Do we need to sing? All right. Um, we all know what religions are, or what a religion is. We all have our own definition of religion. I just threw this up here. Um, is a, one possibility for a, a, a definition of what a religion is. A religion is a deeply held belief system. Uh, a religion is a belief system that somehow seems to promise a reward after this life is over, somehow or other, most religions give us access to God. So that's their claim. That's what, that's what makes something uh, into a religion. Jesus himself said, I think this is very important. Jesus said, because, I mean, this is the bottom line. <laughs> it really is. Jesus said, all religions, all ideas, all writings, all books, everything come down to one of two things. Either they're revealed to us from God, which means they are accurate and they're right, or somebody somehow conjured it up, which does not mean they're necessarily accurate or right. And Jesus said they're either... Every, everything you hear is either part of, stems from a revelation of God or a tradition of man. Either God somehow made it known to us or we just fabricated it because we didn't have any other way of knowing it. 
Here are two places in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus, on the one hand, refers to the commands of God, on the other to the Word of God. But it's the revelation. It's what God has decided to tell us about Himself that we wouldn't have any other way of knowing. That's what we call revelation. And, and so Jesus here is saying, you're letting go of what God has, has made known to you, the real reality, and, and, and you're substituting with that with ideas that people just come up with. And believe me, mankind has a capacity to come up with anything. Every kind of idea imaginable. So, how should I look at people? The question said, why can't we just accept all these other religions? Why do we have to be hard on religions who are different than, than ours? Why do we have to be so suspicious and so forth? Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can split the middle a bit and say, hmm, there are some areas where we need to be very insistent that this is the way from the truth and the life. On the other hand, on the people side of it, not the idea side of it, on the relational and people side of it, we should be not proud or arrogant or suspicious, but rather accepting and loving to the nth degree possible of those folks who embrace other religions. So let me mention these two ideas, these two realities. First of all, uh, this, is the, this is the attitude that I personally see, I see it often expressed from the Islamic tradition, the Islamic religion. You know, I'll never forget when this guy named Salman Rushdie wrote a book many, many years ago. Um, I think it was called The Satanic Verses, and he was critical of the Koran, and boom, he was put under a death uh, warrant from the Grand Poobah over in Iran, I forget what you call him. But he was, he was, you know, he was sentenced to death. And there were numerous attempts made on his life to kill him. Um, he lived in England, I think. He actually went into hiding for many years. That's one of an example of a multitude of examples. Uh, to this day, if someone in the eyes of the Islamic religion makes fun of the Koran, somebody writes a cartoon or burns a copy of the Koran or any of these kind of things, as insulting as we may understand that that is, they respond by saying, kill them. That's, that's what you should do with someone who has rejected your religion. Kill them. Christian response, what the New Testament has to say, is absolutely different from that. It it is able to say, look, we believe in the truth of the Bible. We don't believe in the Koran, and we don't believe that Muhammad was inspired by God, and so forth. We believe this is truth. However, we do not think that having grace upon a person who disagrees with us contradicts our truth. We believe that someone can have a different opinion, uh, even work to oppose us, and we can still have grace upon them. We can still be patient with them, we can be kind, and we can be loving, and we don't want to burn their house down, and we don't want to kill their family. That's arrogance, as the gospel, as the New Testament teaches, to reject someone because they reject your religion. 
Here's the New Testament teaching. Here's what the Bible does tell us. That we should realize that truth and grace can be compatible, not contradictory. That it's okay to have grace on someone who doesn't share your truth. It's okay to forgive them. It's okay to be patient with them. It's okay to, to, to try to explain things. You can still joke with each other. You can still cooperate on a project together. You can do many things and have grace towards them even while you maintain 100% that this is the truth and you don't agree at all with their version of the truth. Having, having the truth and exercising grace are both possible. These two things are compatible with each other. Here's what it says about Jesus. I've always loved this statement. Grace and truth came. How do you argue with that? Jesus was very, Jesus was very strong about standing up for, for the undeniable fact that he was the only way men and women could be saved. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't apologize or clear his throat. He said it. But he also was a person of grace. And so when people differed from him, he warned them, he helped them, he loved them, and so forth. So that's the answer. We can, we can accept people from other religions even while we refuse to accept the message of other religions. And we can work with them and cooperate them with them in many different ways. So, uh, to, to, to just come back to or remind ourselves of the fact that the Bible is very narrow in some ways. I just mentioned these two, that the central message of the Bible is that there's only one God. There's not a whole host of idols and a whole host of of deities, there's one God. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is an idol. There's one God. There's one supreme power that made everything that exists. That's what the Bible says. And, secondly, that there is one go-between, one mediator between God and man. This is what the Bible teaches us. So that's, that doesn't allow room for, um, for us to get to heaven through the Islamic version that doesn't um, give any credit to Mohammed or Buddha or, uh, you know, many, many other idolaters. And, and this doesn't, this, the Bible says this is how it is. There's one God and his son is Jesus. You got you, you to gotta, you get to God through Jesus. So that's very narrow-minded. The Bible also tells us to be careful when we think that all these other religions and all these ideas um, all have so much wonderful things to offer because Satan has deceived, has gone forth into the earth as a deceiver. The Bible tells us this. And he deceives many people. And he can fill us with fantastic falsehoods and fantasies and false ideas and false religions. The Bible warns us about this and, and says, look, you know... Um, not everything that every person comes up with had to actually have happened in the way they think that it did. Jesus, Jesus said there's a, there's a road that's broad and has very easy access. You don't have to 
You don't have to study real hard. You just step forward and you can kind of gradually melt your way onto this road. And it's wide and it's broad and it leads to destruction. This is what Jesus said. So, there's a reason why religions are different. There's a reason why the Christian religion says, well, there's some lines we will not cross, we cannot cross, because they're false. They lead to, they lead to destruction. They lead to falsehood. But that doesn't mean that we have to hate everybody or reject everybody who's walking down that road. You know, I just read the other day, Jesus, this is always amazes me, it's raining this morning. Jesus said, well, you know, God just sends his rain on the Christians. Actually, he, I think it was, God just sends his rain on the United Brethren. And didn't he say something like that? No, I don't think he did. God has grace. And he's the God of truth, but he reigns on and reigns and reigns on everybody. He doesn't single this person out and say, well, you're, you know, you're a lima bean. You shouldn't be in this soup. There's another role for lima beans. Get out of here. He just, makes, he, he just sends his reign on the good guys, the bad guys, the guys who are, who are following the truth and the guys who are trying to invent new truth the whole way. God has grace. So can we. But don't, but don't distort things to think that the grace that God has by sending rain on the unjust means that he approves or accepts their ideas or that they'll be with him someday forever. Regarding human cultures and religions, this is what it seems to me that truth should trump tradition. In other words, if, if as Jesus said, you know, you're, you're forsaking the truth of God for the traditions of men, he was he was not saying that in, approvingly. He was saying to them, uh, he, he was saying to them, this is not good, this is not right that you should do this. You know, it's hard when, when you've been raised in a tradition. Um, I know some of you, as far as Christian denominations, and many of you were raised in other denominations. You didn't grow up in this church. That's okay. I didn't either. But it can be tough or hard to break or move out of a tradition and into someone else and into somewhere else. But none of that is as important as the truth and believing and following and behaving in the right way that is pleasing God. So that's what I want to mention. Okay, so this is what the scripture says. God wants everybody to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be saved by coming to a knowledge of the truth. One more thought. One more thought. And I'm done. So where does this leave us? I'm going to just say these two things. And try to and trying to address this question of why don't we why can't we just accept all the religions? Why do we have to snipe and why do we have to differentiate and divide? I, I'm gonna just say it this is the best that I know how to answer this question. We can and should seek to understand and accept and love people who are part of any religion or not a religion at all, if they're atheistic, if they're paganistic, they're still a person, they're still in the soup jar. Maybe they're just tomato juice swirling around, but they're in there, okay? We should seek to understand God sends his rain on everybody. He, he blesses everybody. However, when we have an opportunity 
to seek to persuade them, we should use that. We should make the most of it. We should desire to, to persuade them away from the error into truth as we see it. Truth as we understand it. That's how critical and important truth is. Um, I, I'll close with this, this conversation. It's an example of it. You know, you have a Jew and you have a Christian. So here's two different religions. King Agrippa, Roman son of Herod. Herod Agrippa was his name. And he said to Paul as he talked to Paul in his prison cell. What are you? Paul's giving him his testimony. And Agrippa said, what are you? You think you're going to persuade me to become one of, your, one of those Christians? I mean, he was, he was, it was humorous to him. That Paul couldn't talk to him without trying to witness to him. The king's laughing. He said, what do you, you think you're going to make me into one of these Christians? And I've always loved Paul's answer. He said, I surely hope so. He wasn't a bit discouraged by the fact that the king thought it was humorous. He wasn't a bit discouraged about the fact that the king was, just thought it was ridiculous. Because he was never going to become a Christian. That didn't discourage Paul at all. He said, as long as my heart beats and I get a chance to talk to people, I will try to persuade them to become a Christian. And he said, yeah, I do wish and hope. And in fact, what about your wife? She's not one either. She needs, well, your bodyguards, the, all these people who are with you, they all need to become Christians. I love that because that's the burden of his heart. He, he was respectful of the king, but at the same time, he was still fastened on to the truth. And he said, I'm trying. It is my goal and my prayer that every one of you become like I am, meaning that you become a Christian as well. Heavenly Father, uh, this is a troublesome and a big question that we often face with many people, both in community and in family, where those who do not believe as we do have uh, all, sorts of, all sorts of responses to our faith. Let us never stop loving them. Let us never quit cooperating with them. And rejoicing in whatever it is good that we can do together. At the same time, let us never cease to, to, per, to persuade them of what it is that we believe with all of our heart. In your name we pray.